Ocio and Hawaii. Welcome to Real Indigenous Podcast. I am uh, your co-host, Candice Bird Boney, and with me tonight is uh, one of our regular co-hosts, Vanga Angela. And uh, with us tonight, we have we have our special guest. We have a, a very special guest tonight. It is Madeline Sayet. Madeline Sayet is well. I'll let her introduce herself. <laughs> Because we have a lot of fun. We, we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about. Maddie, introduce yourself. Chanatiwi <laughs> Sachokais. Uh, hey, everybody. Um, I'm Maddie. I'm a citizen of the Mohegan tribe in Connecticut. And I uh, serve as both an assistant professor at Arizona State University and as the executive director of the Yale Indigenous Performing Arts Program. And I am a theater maker person. Yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> I always struggle with that, too. It's like. You, which, which comes first actor playwright yeah actor, playwright, <laughs> producer writer <laughs> director so all of those things all of those things you have done and you continue to do and um uh, Angela before we before we started our podcast she asked us she asked me or I started sharing like how we first met and I told her that at the time and I don't remember if I'm I don't remember if I shared this with you but at the time, you know, like I was doing my MFA and I was like looking for, I was looking for anything really to do with native theater. I remember, I think my dad saved this uh, newspaper and your face was in it. And it was like <laughs> from the New York Times and it was like Tulsa scene. And my dad was like sending me these articles about you and you're in like a, you're in like a cap and you were you're doing a you're doing Shakespeare and um, you know you've got your your eyebrows arch like you're questioning something <laughs> and I remember like my dad my dad was always like saving articles like that for me and he was like hey you need to read about this person this person's sounds really cool and so I started reading about you and I was like wow wow this gal she is a native director you know and that's you know, uh, I had been studying the the wave of native theater, you know, in the 70s and the 60s, a little bit what was going on in the 80s and the 90s. And I was wondering, where are we where are we now? Where where are we? Then I never I never dreamed that a, a few years later, uh, we would be pegged to, to work in a workshop together. And I remember the first time I saw you because I had seen your <laughs> I'd seen your photographs. <laughs> And I remember you were walking across uh, the Fayetteville uh, campus at the University of Arkansas, and we were both trying to get in this door. We were both trying to get into this <laughs> this building that was locked. And I remember <laughs> you walked by, and I knew you from your profile and um, from all the wampum you were wearing. I was like, that, that's that's Madeline. That's her. And I was like, hi, Madeline. And I was like, trying to calm myself down. I was like, because I, you know, sometimes I get really excited when I meet people and um and people ad I admire. And so I was like trying to calm myself down. I was like, don't, don't scare her off. Don't be, don't be that person. And I was like, hi, Madam. And and you were and you instantly just started talking to me like we had known each other for years, you know, and you were like, Yeah, like we need to get in this building. <laughs> That's very funny. I yeah, I definitely, I definitely did not know that you had any foreknowledge of me and my uh, pink hat my pink fedora that I wore in this there was the picture was really funny because I, I used this like picture of me in this pink fedora as like my headshot for a while and it became this thing where if I didn't have this hat with me it was like the hat had become a part of my <laughs> persona 
<laughs> so I had to like travel with this hat. <laughs> it's very absurd. <laughs> people be like, where's your hat? <laughs> um, that's very funny. But you know, I, I really enjoyed working on that play, Cro- Crossing Minnesota at Theater Squared. I'm sad we didn't end up getting to do a production of it there because it was really fun. I feel like that time with you and and Matt and Allison and MK down there down there working on it. Yeah, it was really supportive theater, I feel like also in terms of in terms of the play development process. It's not always like that. And it felt like they really just like, yeah, cared cared about supporting the work, which was good. Yeah. That's how we met. You're acting. And that's how we met. <laughs> and I was not wearing my pink hat. That's that's how we met. <laughs> but I had heard about your work as an actor before at that point. So also I think that's also probably why I just <laughs> treated you as if I had already known you. Because <laughs> I was like, Yeah, 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 Candace, Candace. There she is. She's an actor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it was like so surreal because I was like, I'm here in Fayetteville and I like all your work previously I had been reading about, you know, was all up in the Northeast, all mm-hmm. have been concentrated. And I know you you probably traveled outside the Northeast to to do um to do your theater work. But at that time, it was concentrated up in the Northeast. And I just thought, oh, man, she might as well be like First Nations tribes, you know, like I'll never get up to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true though i did actually it was it was interesting for a long time i think especially before like the the shutdown you know like where everything went on zoom i really was i was very very based in the northeast um and then even like then right like when i like was studying in the uk for a while it was like further east and then going back home to the north you know or east it was like never like that I, and then I, I started to i feel like around that time i want to say was that like when was that no that was that was pretty late actually that was already 2018 i think when we worked on that mm-hmm. i know because i met my partner the day i got back from the <laughs> but yeah no it was that up prior to that like because it was like 2019 was i feel like the first year i was like traveling a lot for projects because for a long time like i was pretty much pretty much mostly working in new york or if not in new york somewhere new york adjacent either like in my homelands in connecticut or maybe like upstate new york or like if i could talk in like massachusetts but i i wasn't i wasn't traveling that much yet and then it then it sort of drastically shifted as more native theater was happening across the nation where people would be constantly asking me to like come out to other nations to work on projects uh which is so cool but it's weird to think about that really wasn't that long ago and also 2018 was the year when they started actually producing native theater at regional theaters. <laughs> so it's like also not very long ago, right? Only five years ago. Cause that was the year that I wrote that article for American Theater Magazine about Mary Catherine and Larissa and Delina's shows all being on in Oregon at the same time that April. It's true. I really had been like far, far, far away in my little corner <laughs> up until that point, which is crazy to me now. Cause now it's like, not only was there the tour of where we belong, where I literally had to go all over, but I feel like every single, well, now I live in Arizona, I live in Phoenix, I'm professor at ASU. And then also I feel like I'm constantly being asked to go like somewhere else. So I'm like, what? I, there was a time where I, I was just sitting peacefully in the Northeast. Like what happened to that time? <laughs> But so much of it changed when we were all like in lockdown 
it was kind of it was kind of interesting because because all the theater was on Zoom, everybody finally like started really collaborating and meeting each other. Because for a long time, in native theater, it was like, oh yeah, I've heard of them, but they're out on the West Coast, or like I've heard of them, but they do a lot of work in Oklahoma, or I've heard of you know what I mean, or oh they're up in Alaska. And then suddenly it was like everybody was just on Zoom together, so it was really cool because we could all collaborate and also like viewers could watch from like wherever they were, like wherever you were on like whatever res, like you could still zoom in. So it was a really exciting moment to actually be like, oh these are all the people I've been hearing about like far away for all these years yeah it was really cool and when I I broke let's say I, I talked about the experience too with um another mutual friend of ours who's also wears many hats uh Tara Moses and when I spoke to her she was I was telling her about how good the experience was and how very positive it was and she said you know for a moment she made this comment something about like uh you know for a moment Indian country was very settled in yeah. Arkansas. We brought Indian country to Arkansas, back to Arkansas. What a cool place for it to happen because Arkansas is part of my people's homelands. And so doing the play and just doing native theater, like in those spaces, like it, and especially very wealthy spaces. <laughs> that, that theater is very rich, but also I don't think, have they produced it? Oh no, they're producing, Rih uh, no, they did another workshop. They did a workshop of Rihanna's play. Yes, this they, spring, they still haven't produced a native play yet. So yeah. not yet. I got to get on that with their wealthy theater money. Yes, yes. Because come on, Arkansas. <laughs> come on, Arkansas. You are you yeah. are so close to so many native nations. <laughs> so close. So yeah. get on. Yeah, and it's interesting to see which places where that matters in terms of like produ productions and where it doesn't. You know what I mean? Like it's like there are so many areas where it's like, okay, we can we can like the pressure is on because it's like, there's all these native people here and so they do sometimes start to like be the first ones to take a step forward even though it's so late right right and then there's others where it's like you have all these native nations here and they're like we're just gonna continue to ignore that <laughs> not looking at you oklahoma yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not looking at you oh my god that's crazy yeah that's a good point right because oklahoma whoo i mean no shortage of native people in oklahoma and I no know. shortage of actors anymore either because oh <laughs> i mean yeah, so many, so many factors in Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, so many people based here. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your, I never asked you, I realized, and I wondered if you might reveal on our mm -hmm. podcast. I never asked you how uh, you met Bill Yellowrobe. I was rewatching uh, your TED Talk where you talk about your, your mm -hmm. Mohican name and that director, mm -hmm. the idea of what a director is and and uh, how in the Mohegan language, you know, you, you, you talk about the, the words she leads, the heart, she leads them there. The way that those thoughts are put together. And uh, you mentioned Bill Yellowrobe as, um, you've mentioned him before as your mentor. And I was, I was curious, you know, like, I never, I never asked you, like, how, how you met Bill Yellowrobe. Yeah, so weird, the weird thing about Bill, even beyond the story of how I met him, is he was actually living in New Linden County, where I live in, where I'm from in Connecticut for like a long period of time. So Bill, so originally sort of my trajectory in terms of like how I how I came to get to know Bill was I first found out about his work because my final year undergrad at Carmen Laura Eli was teaching a, 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 a Native American drama course at NYU. And so I took that class, obviously we read Bill's, Bill's plays within it. And so that course was a really significant moment for me because I didn't know we had Native theater before that. I mean, I knew we had our traditional stories 
And I knew there was like European theater, but I actually genuinely just didn't know native theater existed. And, and that seems to be a common experience actually for a lot of folks. Like Tara tells a similar story where she's like, I went into a basement and there was a Billy Hellero book on a shelf, you know? Yeah. And she's like, what? And she was like, what is this? You know, but like for the, yeah, for me, it was like, I was like, I it like never occurred to me that, that, that we had theater. Like that was like mind blowing. And so Bill immediately became super famous to me. And my sister, the summer after I graduated, she forwarded me this call for actors for a reading of Bill's play Woodbones up in Maine. Uh, it was up actually at the MFA program, University of Southern Maine has for creative writing, uh, Stone Coast. They were just like uh, gathering people to put on a reading. And, and so I, I, I emailed volunteering to be in this reading of this play. I didn't know that no one else emailed to volunteer to be in the reading of this play. Oh. This is often the case in native theater. Yeah, so I got up there and it was just like, like you know, the people who were in the program and Bill, and then I was driving Bill around the entire time, which was like kind of like crazy to me at the time because I felt like I was like driving a celebrity around, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it just meant that we had a lot of time to chat. And I remember Bill, when I first got up there, he was like, I should have died last week. Oh. Like he was in the hospital last week and I almost died last week. And it was like, so I always feel like it was like, you know, like it was like when he, when he, when he passed and it was like really sad and everything. I also sometimes thought about that moment and thinking about how, like how much he gave between that moment when he said he could have died last week and, and the time, you know, the time that he had left after that, because all of his contributions are so significant and he's so prolific as a playwright. Like I've never met another playwright who turns out plays as quickly as Bill does. Um, yeah. really kind of amazing but uh yeah so we became friends up there then and then he he actively got me involved in native theater to the point where like i directed my first show and then he went around and told everybody i was a director like he hadn't seen it oh or anything <laughs> like he just was like oh yeah maddie's a director and i was like <laughs> what basis are you telling people i'm a director like literally there is no evidence that i am a director and he just sort of like believed in me that way, which was kind of incredible. And he always, you know, liked working with me as a director. He'd always like bring me to work on his projects. Yeah. So it was a really, it was really meaningful, I think, to be trusted that way. Yeah. So to just like be like, no, like I see, I see you as a leader before I was one, you know, I feel like that, um, that was just a really sort of meaningful mentorship process. And it was interesting because um, when, when Donna and Joe were at where we belong in New York, though, they were like, did Bill ever get to see this? And I was like, no. And, and I never shared any of my playwriting with him. So it's interesting because my, uh, yeah, like my mentorship of Bill was always like as a, as a director, like he like mentored me very much with the native theater and native theater values. I think I was definitely I like I never got to a point. He was also he was also, you know, sick later on. So I wasn't going to be like, you know, here's a play to read even though he was still somehow writing plays every day. Like the last workshop we did of one of his plays, he was like in the hospital and yeah. didn't tell us, you know, like he was like kept disappearing. And I was like, where, where is he going? And, so, and then finally we figured out he was in the hospital, but he just wanted to get the work out there that badly, you know, they just kept, he kept doing rewrites from the hospital, which is shows how much passion and dedication he had to the craft. And I'm so glad that Dramatist Guild is publishing all his works and making them all available to everybody now. So I'm really hopeful that actually a lot of his plays um, that didn't get productions during his lifetime will we'll get him now. Because he was always calling me, you know, like late, like later on um, when he was sicker, like trying to think about what was going to happen to his plays. And he was always really worried that, that, his, that his plays wouldn't get done, you know, um, once he passed. And uh, so I'm really glad that they, they found a good way to to get that work out there because he he's really contributed so much to our field and yeah so much to me but there was an in, there was an interaction in the car when I was up there you know a tiny little 
18, not 18, 20 year old, 20 year old, 20 year old Maddie in Maine during that whole thing. And I had just like, because I, I had finished undergrad a year early, the teachers there, they had said like, oh, you don't look that native. So you shouldn't let anybody know that you're native. And I thought to myself, my mom is not gonna like that. That is gonna get me in a lot of trouble. That seems like a bad plan for all sorts of ancestral reasons. Uh, anyway, so I said something to Bill about that. And he was like, there are enough Indians pretending not to be Indian. Like, don't let anybody else tell you who you are. And that was that, you know, it was like, he was like, why would you do that? Like, that's terrible advice, you know? And then it was just like, I felt like if I hadn't had that at that moment, though, I often sometimes wonder, like, if I hadn't just been invited into Native theater at that moment, like my entire, I could have just left theater because the moment when I met Bill, I was seriously considering stopping doing theater altogether because I, I was so confused by, like, the theater landscape of, like, these, like, Mamet and Albie plays. And I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Like, this isn't what I thought theater was. Um, so Native theater really changed changed my life and is ultimately the reason why I'm still involved in theater at all. Especially in grad school, whenever you're like, you have to read the Albie, you have to read the Mamet, you have to read, who else do you have to read? You have to read a lot of plays that just don't connect. Like, yeah. you just don't connect with them. And my, uh, I, I didn't find Bill Yellowroad's plays right away, who kind of, the plays that I, I found were Hene Gigamas. Mm-hmm. It's kind of similar to Tara. I had just gotten out of undergrad and I was uh into the I was into renting or reading plays from the from the library from Tulsa City Library because I had no money. So I needed free books. And they happened to have a copy of the trilogy of uh Hene Gigamas bodies of work at the time you know i was i there was like i was like the one the one native playbook i feel like a lot of us have that story too where it's like we find the one book of native plays <laughs> if there is one in the library somewhere and then you're like oh gosh this does exist never heard about it never seen it and then we wind up especially in when during the pandemic we wound up just being kind of pushed in a room together like where we're doing it (laughs) yeah i mean and hene is his his contributions are also so significant because he also like edited and published through ucla all these anthologies of native theater that went out by the time i was taking like my contemporary native drama course like in in undergrad i don't know that that course would have been taught if they didn't have these tech you know what i mean like they had they had these books that hene had like obviously from an academic perspective put together in order for this course to be taught so it's it's interesting because um because so much of the publishing world like in terms of the intersection with like contemporary native theater being taught or any native theater being taught in um in classes like so much of it is like is there what's published like you can only teach it if it's like published in terms of easy access i mean i obviously just email everyone and say can I teach a PDF of this? But the thing is, is for like the general public doing research, they're not going to necessarily know about plays unless they've they've been published or had a major production. Um, and so that's still sort of a difficult thing in this country because because unless it has been in an academic publishing, unless someone has actually gone through the work of making sure that that happens, plays don't usually get published unless they've had a major New York production. So there's very few Native plays published and all the ones that are published, it was because someone very intentionally said, this is meaningful and this is worthwhile and it, it ought to be engaged with in this way. That's why people should buy your book. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the only reason my play is published is is even is even similarly, right? Because the folder was a co-producer and and they they were they they have relationships with pub, with play publishing houses in England. And in England, they publish every play 
that is getting produced. So it's not as precious. Yeah, it's not as precious as it is here. It's not like it has to have like a Broadway production in order to get published. And uh-huh. so and so the, that relationship led to my my play being able to to get published by Bloomsbury by Methuen Drama so early, but it was a British publisher that ultimately published my play. So it's all very weird and complicated. And like so Mary Catherine's play Sovereignty is the only one of hers published. And I, it was university that did, I think maybe University of Nebraska, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but it was definitely a university published, you know, so it's, 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 it tends to be the universities that have Native studies that tend to publish something like that. But yeah, it's all very interconnected. Well, dang. Well, then that makes sense why I can't like go and find one of Aragon's plays, you know, like because I'd love a copy of Round Dance, you know, I mean, other uh, uh, you have to become an academic and then pub- and then edit it yourself and publish it and then okay. we can all buy it. Okay. All right. <laughs> go back to school and, <laughs> and somehow convince universities to do this. <laughs> Please make an anthology and then because we need an updated one because you know those those anthologies that 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 Hane made are, are from the night in the early 2000s I think so it's it's time it's really time for a new anthology of native theater it is because like like you like I just wound up emailing people and just being like please share your work with me I really like it I think I and I know I will I just can't access it you know like with uh with whale song you know yeah. a beautiful play oh my gosh you know I knew you were directing it and the trailer looked really cool and I really wanted to go see it, but it's all the way up in Alaska and Alaska is expensive. Um, but it, <laughs> and the sets and the, just everything. I think it, I just wish it, I wish it toured. I wish it could come down here. And it, when I read Kathy's words, I didn't realize that it was, it, well, I should have realized that it's poetry. You know, she, she writes poetically and it's beautiful my gosh i i could just i could see it you know as i was as i was reading it and i was just like people need to read this play (laughs) if we can't go see it but we also need to see it too (laughs) no but it's so true especially with especially with that play yeah because it's like one of those plays where every time i would hear the text i'd be like oh i'm getting another level you know that like that just beautiful poetic language where you're constantly like making discoveries about your own life inside of it, like the world around you. It just keeps like un- unveiling more layers as, as you encounter it. Do you mind if I ask like a somewhat lewd question? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered if, how do you approach it? Sorry, audience, you guys know me because, well, of course it stuck out to me because I, I've never read this stage direction anywhere in any play and i never see it in native theater but there's a stage direction it's very specific one i'm sure you know the one i'm talking about yeah it took me a second to remember what could be lewd and whale song and then i was like oh you had an intimacy choreographer (laughs) 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 it was my first time having an intimacy choreographer (laughs) was that that good was it good Um, yeah no i mean so so the, the movement was a core element of whale song like throughout whale song but yes there is a the sexual scene in whale song and i don't remember if like there's also like whale elements to that scene i can't remember what the stage direction is but there's a lot of um things it's like that that don't necessarily call for like literal action but like um sort of like metaphoric beautiful movement oh. uh, yeah, and so that's I think what really worked well because we already had like uh, a choreographer working with with all of these other kinds of elements, right? The world of the whales, characters who are underwater. Like, what does that mean for their movement? Their entire play stylistically, stage directions. Like, Ani gives birth 
to a song, you know, like, like, what is that, you know, like, or like the icebergs break apart. <laughs> like, yeah. it, there was all sorts of, oh, no, no, it was, it was like, Ani transforms into a whale and then gives birth to a song, you know, it was like, these things where you're like, great, sure, yes, we'll just do that. So actually, <laughs> I think that was the, the, the only play in which um, the fact that there was like a quote unquote sex scene was not intimidating, because there was already these much more complicated solves. And also because I had someone who is not me doing the intimacy choreography. And so it was so interesting for me to like watch somebody mark through things in such a, such a technically proficient way where it feels so safe for the performers, where it's like, it's not about like, you know, like trying to experience the things. It's literally like your hand goes here in this moment. Mm -hmm. You know, are you, are, how do you feel about like, what are your boundaries? Like, okay, like put blah, blah, blah here. Like it's, it was so like controlled. That was really great. And also really important because I would not have known what to do without an intimacy choreographer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the stage direction was just electric sex happens. And I was just Oh, like, there oh. you go. There you go. Yeah. That, that sounds right. Electric and sex happens. And I remember, thinking, how is Maddie going to stage that? How do you think? Maddie is like the least, like, I am like, I am the queen of like, sex free plays like if you look at the trajectory of plays that i have worked on it'll be like coming of age story like working on where we belong the number of times the director was like and are we gonna include something about your love life and me being what? like no we are not like you know like it's just um yeah like i am the i am like a tiny child when it comes to that stuff like there are some directors who are like yeah and then this is gonna happen this is gonna happen and like i was so grateful for the invention of intimacy choreographers because prior to that what used to happen is I would just fall down giggling in rehearsals whenever there was anything that needed to be staged that was like especially if it was a period piece like working on the coronation of Papea where the lines are all like oh I love your apples or whatever <laughs> they're singing it in Italian I was just like I'm not mature enough for this so yeah, now that there are these like really important structures for how how um, the artwork can be made in a way that is effective, but also creates a space, safe space for the performers, but also creates a space in which directors who are really bad at staging those kinds of things also have an ally who can help really is great in a multiplicity of ways. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone says, ooh, those, those telenovelas, that's Maddie's. <laughs> Very intellectual director. <laughs> Yes. Like with any, well, you know, that, and that's part of the thing uh, that we face uh, in native theater too, is, you know, we get, we get a lot of stories focused on pain and trauma that when we get something that is tender, like a love story, you know, I don't know what to do, you know, <laughs> like, I'm like, I think it was, it was either MK or Tara. Like um, I got cast in kind of like a romantic part and I had never never and, and, and you know when you do it you do your your scenes and in, in grad school and all those things but then uh your professors try to you know they're trying they are trying to help I think so they they try to coach you into going for your type and oh yeah. is not romantic lead according to some of my professors so you so I don't when, have it that was my flaw <laughs> it's hard <laughs> So, I do not exist because I do not have a type. You don't have type. <laughs> so you must type your own type. Yes. <laughs> and they will all say, yes, she's like a Maddie. Mm, interesting. Yes, the Maddie type. 
Oh, it is. You're right. They do. They try and type everybody. And it's always interesting because the baseline, though, for so many of the types are these like famous white women. And yes. so you're like, you're like, why would I exist within this mechanism of types? And I remember it was like, actually, like when they were working really hard to come up with my type, they were like, like, it was like, I remember specifically the two phrases, Sandra Bullock and Kathy Najimy. And I was like, <laughs> these are not the same. <laughs> And then I was like, I just, I will be me. No one was like, you know, I mean, it was, it's so funny because it wasn't that long ago. And yet, like, in terms of the structure of the evolution of both TV and theater, it was like eons ago. Yeah. Because it wasn't even a time where they were like, like now it's like not only do like, you know, are we able to like cast like, you know, native folks and things, but also like quirky folks, like. They somehow there was like a shift towards like people who are a little weird becoming more popular, which was very much not a thing before. It was like unless you were the mainstream wasp type, like nobody knew what to do with you. Like I love that like the native of uh, the strong native female lawyer is now mm. a type. It's type. Yes. I also like to now we can probably have someone who's like Willie Jack, you know, play it like Willie Jack. Yeah, sure. He's definitely a type. <laughs> that's definitely a type. Yeah, you're right. That's that's huge. I mean, that's huge for people to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can sell them. It's like a Willie Jack type. Yeah. 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 You're right. It wasn't that long ago, but it feels like it feels like a while ago. And I think in my opinion, I think Native Theater, you know, started that, you know, kind of started that wave of even and impacted you know where we see native film today a lot of those story types and of course i will want to give credence to all those uh, native filmmakers and and theater makers out there you know because i know y'all have been working very 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 hard on making these things come true it's wonderful it's awesome to see uh what we had just what seven years ago compared to like now yeah, well, I mean, I always thought about that with, with Bill, like in terms of like, you know, those people who kept working so hard their entire lives, despite everything working against them. You know, it was like right, right before he passed, he, he found out he was about to win the two major awards, you know, yeah. and it was just this thing of like, it, it took his entire lifetime of work for us to to be able to do this now and like how much easier that means it is for me than for him because like I sometimes like you know I get cynical when I'm like oh my god we've said this thing over and over and over and over again and the theaters don't like I started laughing at myself the other day because I was like mad at all the white theaters you know mm -hmm. and then I was like Maddie it's only been like five years like you you were you know for like for hundreds of years you were like let us we were like let us in produce native plays and then you know we let they produce native plays and you know they didn't actually understand anything about native values and why did i think they would like you know, i was like why did i think that suddenly it was like now they're gonna get it and then i'm mad at them because it's like they still are ignorant but it's like it's only been like few years that they've been producing these things at all <laughs> so it's just interesting too i feel like the way that like you know different different age trajectories operate where i'm like because this change was i feel like happening from like my late 20s to my mid-30s i'm like yeah it's evolving as i'm evolving and therefore it should all be fixed by now <laughs> like, no that's really not how it works <laughs> it's not just gonna be fixed <laughs> i just got really lucky in that i came of age in a time where like you know the work that other folks had done for generations and generations and generations <laughs> was finally coming to fruition <laughs> what a time what a time to live in yeah it's a it's a cool time to live in and i also I feel like this has happened. There's a bit of a uniqueness, so to speak, I think, about this wave of 
Native theater and Native film. And um, I want to talk to you a little bit about language because, man, and every every Native play that includes something about Native language and its endangerment, you know, like when Hane was writing theater, Kiowa was still, Kiowa was still very, very strong. You know, we still had lots and lots of speakers here in Oklahoma, still native, still speaking their native languages. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was like in the sixties and the seventies for, um, for Mohegan, but I will say like, I feel like there's this urgency in, in tone from a lot of like the current, from a lot of current native theater makers. And, And I keep on coming back to, uh, something that you say about Bill Yellowrobe talking about a strong Native theater movement ha- comes from like speaking our languages, and yes. something that touches me about your piece about uh, where we and actually I think when you've been I, I assume I this is an assumption you can say this is wrong. <laughs> whenever you I I feel like sometimes whenever I I get to see you perform I got to see you do Puck I got to see you do Puck and it's <laughs> a night's dream I'm pretty sure you're speaking Mohegan as you as you enter as Puck you are right. I was yeah yes okay just want to make sure yes and for me you know like oh one of my tribes our language is has just recently we just lost one of our, our our last fluent speaker and so I'm just now like feeling what uh your I think your tribe's reality that you've been living with with has it been a, how long has it been like a generation or two no it's been a hundred years more than a hundred years so um yeah our our last fluent speaker passed away in the early 1900s. So it's a different, and, and that, that, that situation exists for some other, like the, the first sort of contact Northeastern tribes as well, because it's just been so many hundreds of years of just um, being inundated in that way. But what's interesting in terms of the trajectory for that is that yes, in the sixties or seventies, you know, there were some people who had some phrases that had been passed down, you know, but, but actually it wasn't until very recently where all these language revitalization and reclamation, rematriation movements started happening. So, so it was like the first time there was any sort of language classes that I could take were like around the time that I was starting college, like my nation started being able to like offer that, you know? So like this probably like the summer around when I was like 17, I think was like the first time they started doing that. And, and since then there's been several cycles of the ways in which our language is being brought back because we don't have any living speakers. And so, you know, there was a phrase where it was one elder who was a linguist um, working from these these journals um, from my my ancestor, Fidelia Fielding Flying Bird, who was the last fluent speaker. And then now we're partnered with with uh, the Wampanoag because our language is similar to theirs. And so so we're going through like a more immersive process in relationship to learning with and from them as well. But it's really complicated. It's a different kind of fear and loss than if we still had the last living, you know what I mean, speaker. Because the thing is, is once you lose that last living speaker, you've lost the full understanding of the language. And so now we're trying to like build back our, like you have the, it's really, um, it's a whole different thing, right? When you have the cultural ideas, but you have no words to match them. It's Mm -hmm. almost like you're constantly trying to articulate something you can't quite articulate. And so I feel like it's, it's even more important for for all the nations that still have speakers, right? To to make sure that that doesn't doesn't ever get to that that stage because it's never. I mean, you can build it back and it's still meaningful, and we're still learning things, you know, amazing things about about our language and about the way it operates in the world. And there are you know living speakers now, but it, it did go through a phase of not being spoken. One of the things that of course it touches me about your play is like 
I've never heard Mohegan spoken before. That's, uh, I don't know, there's something about it. It just really rocks me every time, every time I'm, I was able to, to listen to it or hear it or read it. Uh, you know, one of our uh, language revitalists and within Cherokee Nation, he talks about how much smaller does our world become whenever we lose a language. You know, we lose languages every day, he talks about. It's not, and our world is that much smaller because we don't have that that facet of expressing a different idea or a different way of being. And so um, I go I go back to that that thought a lot, how it seems like a lot of themes uh, in Native theater are the ones that um, ones that I've come across that I've been able to get my hands on. A lot of them have that element of we mentioned that we all we it's something that I think draws all of us, you know, that yeah. we it seems that we all seem to come back to that. I think that that's that almost seems, it, it, I just think, I find it's very interesting that it, that's a, a theme that seems to be recurrent right now. Well, yeah, because even though there's so many different, you know, we have so many different cultures, it's like all of the basis, our bases of understanding are in our, our languages, you know, like in, like, our nation, we believe that, like, you know, those names for everything, you know, are the names that the other beings told us were their names when we could communicate with them, you know what I mean? And so now that that, that language is lost it's also part of that connectivity to all the other beings and all of our relations is also kind of gone with it so it's it's um I think it's really complicated but I also remember thinking there was an interesting kind of solidarity in it I remember the first time that I like encountered like other native people not from the northeast and I remember thinking like oh that that is a thing that matters to like all of these other nations um as a young person was really meaningful to me because it was used to something I was used to worrying about alone you know and then I realized, oh, there's like hundreds and hundreds of indigenous nations who are also worrying about this. And so then it like, was an easy way to make friends with other young Native people because it became a point of solidarity instead of a point of isolation, which it had been up until that point. I try not to like talk about or explain. There's only little bits of language in, in where we belong because of just some of the protocol around using it. But there, one of the moments in it, I introduce myself in an old version of the language and then I shake my head and introduce myself in like the most the more updated ver because the language was changing all over the course of the timeline of the play and that is its own kind of like process that is complicated to negotiate as we're trying to bring it back you know it's not nothing is really all that straightforward trying to yeah trying to figure out what is the right way forward well we're gonna we're coming up on the hour and i wanted to ask you about one of one of two things do you want to talk about um what you're currently working on or what's a memorable moment within the recent year other than oh I guess that sticks out I think from uh, where we belong like wh what do you feel like I think that's the first time that that you toured a piece of yours right where you're would you call it a one woman show I've heard people call it one people shows when I talk about it like and I have to use language people understand I call it a solo performance piece I think what's fundamentally strange about the fact that other people perform it now is that I fundamentally believe that like when I perform it it is me and my ancestors like in a conversation when someone else performs it it is someone else pretending to be me pretending to talk to my ancestors which is like very funny you know what I mean? it's fundamentally like a completely different structure <laughs> But it's never really alone, you know what I mean? It's it, I think it's different in that way that I don't really think of it as something that is alone. I mean, the things that I'm, what am I working on right now? I'm working on a lot of things. I um, I got to finish where there's a streaming version now of um, Joy Harjo's solo show 
that I directed a streaming version of, which was really cool, that Bart of the Gate produced that's available on Broadway at the, on demand, which is just great to get to see her perform it. That's an accessible resource now. It's just so amazing. Joy is very, I mean, the part of the reason I was so grateful that we were able to make the film, the filmed version of her doing it, is that thing of like getting her time, you know? Yeah, yeah that's true is such a is such she's so she's so in demand i mean what was insane to me when i watched her perform a piece like actually insane something i never witnessed before was the first rehearsal we did of it she was like full in i have never seen a performer just like first read through be like full 100 percent performance i was like (laughs) and also playing the saxophone so i was like literally like my brain was just like like what is happening right now like oh my god like she just was like 110 percent from the beginning and i was like i'm never 100 percent at the end you know what i mean i was like that's why joy harjo is joy harjo like mind blown like so incredible like it wouldn't occur to her not to do something fully like why would she waste her time you know doing a bad version i'm like let me do 85 bad versions first <laughs> I'm finishing up post on a short film about Flying Bird right now, the last one, speaker of our language, uh, that I'm working on with my nation. And there's another couple of film projects that I'm working on about our Mohegan history. I'm going to be in New York in like a week working on devising a new indigenized adaptation of Faustus, thinking about the sort of question of good and bad questions of good and bad medicine and what does it mean to like what is like the early modern version of like selling your soul to the devil right but like now like what does that mean does that mean like for a contemporary native person like what is that is it you I mean there's a lot of things that can be anyway so we're gonna, we're gonna be, <laughs> um, so I feel like there's a lot of things that are worse than selling your soul to the devil in terms of their long-term impact so we're gonna be exploring exploring that which will be cool and then I have to finish the Where We Belong tour in the spring. Yeah, at the Folger in DC. Yeah, it's been it's been really cool. You know, honestly, my favorite part of the Where We Belong tour, I think, has been getting to see the other performers do it. Audience-wise, it's been really interesting. I mean, I've, I've also actually all the events were because the, the we're all we're local native writers are sharing their work at those theaters. Also, it, it's weird doing. I'm not used to working. You know, like when you met me, I was directing something with a bunch of other native people. Like that's the way I'm used to working. So the fact that like they got me alone for so long, has <laughs> been like. <laughs> very weird and isolating and like i feel like i'm like ah how did they trick me they got me alone (laughs) but the moments where like other native people have like seen it and it's resonated with them but getting to see other performers perform it like particularly i feel like jess and jen had a really good experience performing at oregon shakespeare festival and the audiences there received it really well and it was this instance right where these other native performers got to perform you know an 80 minute solo show by themselves and like people would come up to them in the streets and treat them like they were like star it was like crazy i was like wow that never happened to me you know <laughs> but it was, it was really cool to like get to see them feel really empowered in the storytelling that way and so that i mean that's really the thing the thing that i think is sad about this being produced instead of something else is that it's not giving as many jobs to other native artists right as like a larger show and that i feel like is because the theaters are cheap but that is really the goal because that's what we need we need many voices on stage we need the conversations right we don't want things to be reduced to one person and we all do better when we have our community around us which is why like i say like i think my favorite parts like along the tour were anytime there was like some sort of a community event or interaction or something that made me remember that i'm i i still get to be a part of something or like the indigenous only performance um at the public where it was basically like i looked out and it was like everyone i worked with in new york native theater 
was the entire audience and it was like we were reclaiming that space together yeah. I think those are the kinds of things that um that meant something to me during the tour and I'm just excited honestly to get back to like directing and writing not having to be like emotionally present all the time because it can be very exhausting to relive your own mental breakdown every day <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like I wondered how you how you survived during that during your your run because you know I, I saw your performance and of course like we know uh, we know in theater the way that is different of course from film acting is that you do it again and again and again a million times until you can do it exactly as you did before and your performance is so embodied and it's so physical and you do so much with the space a lot of your energy especially whenever you don't you don't share that space with a with a physical person um, and the audiences change right so it's weird because you don't have a scene partner like when you have a scene partner it's like you have these other people who carry you throughout the thing when you have the audience it could just be like all angry white people who are yelling at you it could just be like you know you don't know what you're gonna get and yeah. so you're just kind of it's it's hard because i think for the other actors doing it like they have like a, a way of acting it for me every time i do it, it it changes a little bit every time because i'm always connecting to my own story and the stories of my ancestors based on the moment that i'm in when i'm telling it like i can't like create a wall between me and you know those stories because like it's all happening all the time. I mean, like every time I've done it, there's been something happening with Indian policy or there's been something happening with my nation. Or there's been something happening with my family. And so it's it's never in a void. Like it always is is super connected in that way. But it's also very different. Like I'm sure like in the filmed version, you know, it was very fresh. So I was very much just like re-experiencing my own trauma to some degree. It got to a point where I was kind of performing it at a certain point where I got really into performing the characters because I was just so bored of like talking to myself, you know, that I was like, oh, let me really invest in these. <laughs> and so since, since like I did it, you know, for all of 2022 and then the last year, um, Jessica Ranville, who's a Métis actor, has been performing it. And then I'm coming back to performing it in 2024. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's going to be different because like I'm much older. I mean, I'm not much older, but you know, and like, I'm like <laughs> older. I'm like different. I'm a different person now than I was then. And so I'm sure and the world is always changing. So I'm sure different things are going to come up in it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I am also like pre tired because like, that's the thing is like, I think part of the reason Jen and Jess had so much fun at OSF is like we designed a, show, a week there that's like a four show week. Yes. Because the shows are in rep, whereas all the other times it's like an eight show week. Oh <laughs> Before I ask you for an excerpt, I wanted to ask you like, what was that reception like for where we belong at the globe? Because I do think and someone can correct me. I think are you the first Native American woman to perform on the globe stage a native theater piece? As far as I know, yeah. I mean, I you, it's hard to always ever know for sure, but the globe is not that old like of a physical institution. And there's definitely been other indigenous people who've performed in this space, but I don't know if they've been from the United States. You know what I mean? Like there's because there's been like different festivals and things like that that have happened there. Uh, and so I also don't know, like, in terms of, like, First Nations folks, that would be a separate question. But in terms of what is, like, quote-unquote Native American, whatever that means, I'm definitely the first Mohegan person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but, like, I have been referred to as the first Native American playwright <laughs> to to be on the club stage. That's pretty fantastic. I what was What was your reception like there? Because I... I came kind of after you had finished your run. It was a few months. I wanted to collect ephemera from your show. I wanted to know the globe had stuff and they 
wouldn't they said no so no they didn't have archival footage even you said right they didn't have anything they didn't have anything and they were like email us later and i tried to and they were like no and i all i wanted was like a, a poster or like a, a program that's what i was looking for was like yeah a i think it's because it was a that's we i think they probably should have but it's it's um i think it's probably because it was a co-pro like it was um because it was there as part of indigenous arts festival so I'm guessing, but they were, so, I mean, they did say they were taking archival that day. That's why I remember when you said that, I was like, oh, that's too bad. I mean, at the time when I said, oh, that's too bad, I didn't know there was going to be a national tour or there was going to be like another version. So in retrospect, I think it's okay. But it was a really, really unique and specific performance because one, it was very much in conversation in that space with the fact that one, I wrote it kind of for that space, knowing the Wanamaker, knowing the structure of that space and the way people are together in there, but also knowing that my ancestor, Mohammed Wayonamon, is buried like a block from there. And so it was very much about doing it for the ancestors who had to cross the ocean to England. And like that sort of conversation of like, we've been here before. Like you don't only come over there. Like we've been having to come here for hundreds of years, you know? Like we, we're not like, you know, we have to, we have all this done, all of this history as diplomats that we've had to do that you've just like erased and pretended and ignored. But also it was really interesting because actually in the audience for that show it was like all oh, the characters in the play. Oh, now, oh like the, the guy from the British Museum was like sitting on the stage, oh. like, in the of the globe, was, like on the stage. And it was funny because I like said to him before, I was like, it's you, but it's not you, you know, like, <laughs> But it was word for word what he said. So like, all his colleagues were like looking, you know, they were like, Is that, that sounds like, that sounds like him. <laughs> and then he wrote this amazing, um, this amazing book afterwards where he's like talking about native representation of museums and he starts talking about the British museum scene in my play. And then he's like, and I should know because that man was me. And he's like, recruiting me his role in the play. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Anyway, but it was really unique because it was, it was like, you know, how often do you perform a play? And it's like the first time all the characters have heard it. Like it was the first time my mom heard it. And I was like, oh my God, is she going to be like horrified by this representation of her? And instead, every time I said something as her, she would just nod like very seriously, like, yes, that is correct. <laughs> and I was just like, I thought she was going to be like, you made me seem crazy. And instead she's just nodding like, yes, good. I'm glad you were listening. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> Um, so it was interesting because it wasn't like the traditional, like, I think it'd be very different if I did like, if I did a run at the globe, the way I did like a long run at the public, I think it'd be very different than doing like a few performances because you would end up with a more general audience who doesn't know what they're coming to see. I think because it was very much in the framework of border crossings origins festival, which is this London based indigenous arts festival. A lot of the people who were coming were people who actually like wanted to see this or engage with this so even if they were like surprised or you know whatever it was like they were really like interested and then in addition to that there was like an immediate standing ovation because a lot of the people like who worked there were saying it helped them see the space in a different way because of the ways in which the play was engaging directly with like the concept of Shakespearean space. They're so used to seeing the same thing over and over and over again. That's like kind of glorifying the space. And so it was really meaningful them, for them to see it like engaged with in a different way. Um, but yeah, it was a really good experience, but it made me so sick before I did it because I hadn't been doing the show yet. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm going to say things about Shakespeare in the globe. Everyone's going to murder me. Like, you know, I was like, <laughs> I was like so sick. Like, I was just like, oh my God, what's going to happen? <laughs> 
And then over time, like the more different they performed it, some of that energy has dissipated, but not all of it. Cause it was like phase one, like your mom has seen your portrayal of her. Like, you know, like phase two, like your nation and your nation's leadership has seen, you know, <laughs> like, it's like, it's like every time it was like some, somebody who I felt like could be mad at me and luckily nobody's been mad at me. So, but I'm always like, cause it's really just personal. Like I'm not representing anything in the play. I'm just talking about my own personal experiences, but because a lot of it's stuff we don't talk about, it's still super, super vulnerable to share. And it's been really meaningful when like elders from my nation have, have really felt seen within it or said things like, you know, like, um, you have like the gift to put words to things I've been experiencing my whole life. And I haven't had the words for like that kind of, that kind of thing has been really meaningful. Elder approval is like key. Yeah. Yeah. It's key. It's how you know you're going in the right direction. Things. And I also have really enjoyed as as part of Yip App, like seeing the younger gen as part of the Indigenous Performing Arts program, seeing the younger generation of native playwrights coming up and what they're doing with form. Because it's been cool since like we have this contest every year for native playwrights under 25. I get to kind of see how they're building on what all everybody else has already done, which is um always really exciting to me to be like oh right like they're taking everything that's been handed to them and they're doing more cool stuff with that would you like to read i will share this excerpt that you have asked to share yes i need a fresh start somewhere i'm not hated for being me i look across the ocean to the place where the words i can speak fluently come from wishing i had the others but knowing they will never fully come back I need to be able to use these living words. I have to change. Mohegans, wolf people, we don't leave, not unless we have to. You can't speak it in our language. It would be like saying you left your arm or your leg behind. You don't leave a part of yourself behind unless something very bad happens. Maybe if I can just get back to Shakespeare, I'll have the language I need. If I can just get back to Shakespeare, everything will become clear. All right, I'm going to the UK to study Shakespeare. But as the words leave my lips, my mom shoots back. Why? Do you want to be white? No, no, I don't want to be white. I just want to be a part of something I'm good at. Shakespeare isn't only for white people. But you want to study a white man. No, I am not studying the man, the white man. I am studying the ongoing life of his work. And you have a zit. See, this is because you want to study a white man. It's bad medicine. She thinks everything is bad medicine. Mom won't stop, though. Do you have any idea what it's like to dedicate your entire life to the survival of a small group of Indians in Connecticut? To know that your mission is our survival. Yes, mom. Then why are you running across the ocean to study a white man? I'm not running. This is what I'm really good at. This is how I can help. We must all stand in love for the tribe. That is the only way we will survive. But what if we don't? What if I do what you say and it still all ends? What if I can't stop it? What if in my lifetime, we all just fade away. Then you will have to explain that to your ancestors when you face them. Mm-hmm. When they greet you at the end of this part of your journey, if you're still enough right now, you can hear them already. I close my eyes and listen. 
Listen for the voices of the ancestors between worlds. Am I running? Or is this my chance to do something important? What should I do? I board the plane like everyone else, but as the plane begins to move, something new takes hold of me. Fear does not guide my decisions the way it once did. I close my eyes and suddenly imagine I am the plane, and the plane is a bird. And the air under our wings, the dips and dives and curves of the wind, all there supporting us, carrying us higher and higher into the sky. Take off. Flying becomes a blessing. When I come down, I'm far away in a strange land. The air is softer here. People take time to sit and drink their tea. The workdays are shorter, the holidays longer, so people can spend time with their families. Everyone has health care. And companies can't put poison in your food. It's so different from what I imagined. How come America can't agree on these basic rules to take care of each other? I'm here to study Shakespeare with other people who love Shakespeare. I've always been really good at understanding Shakespeare. This is my chance to be a part of something that matters. But there are no other Mohegans here. So I cling even more to Shakespeare. I try to bury myself in Shakespeare, pull out meaning from his verses, fill his words in order to exist. But the more time I spend with him, the more you taught me language and my profit on it is, what do you think about Caliban? Caliban, Caliban, ban, ban, Caliban. Get a new monster, make a new man. Well, I think it's important that in contemporary conversations, that indigenous peoples not be confined to only being a part of Prospero's subconscious. Also, have you ever noticed that the only characters who refer to him as a monster are the ones trying to sell him? Well, you should incorporate something from your culture into this piece. You know, something primitive. Primitive, primitive. Uh, no, I'm not sure what you mean by that. My culture is actually incredibly complex. We're so glad that you're uniquely positioned to write about the experience of the native. The native, the native, the native, um, uh, the, the native is a trope. There's no singular version of indigenous peoples. We're all unique. Why should someone who's an expert in English literature be up to date on the correct terms for race? They're separate fields, after all. I'm still. I'm still. I am still, and I close my eyes to listen, but the ancestors feel so very far away. What would my people want me to do? I will change things. I will change things. I will change things. I will show them we are human. Talk about the tempest, the tempest, the tempest. Talk about the talk about the talk about the tempest. Ah, uh, well, it was the first show I ever directed. How perfect. Oh no. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us and fitting us in your busy schedule. I know that this week was a little bit harder, you said, but uh, thank you so much for finding the time to come and talk about um, some of your work. I wondered, like, uh, I wanted to ask you, like, what's your dream for 
the future and how do you take care of yourself to ensure that that future is going to be? I think, I mean, for the future as a whole or for the future of just native theater, how big are we going? We'll say, we'll keep it, we'll keep it a little small. The future of native theater and performance, like in regards to our communities and, and your work. I think, I mean, for me, it's, it's about the comedies being able to get made and get produced. I feel like that's really important. I feel like the, um, the theaters now that they've started like the non-native theaters now that they've started producing native works they do it with sort of like certain parameters you know like they'll do the shows where we talk about our trauma and then they'll try and make sure they have non-native directors directing it so that there's a kind of amount of control over our narratives that kind of still in some ways no matter how hard we fight fits them a little bit into what they they can understand and i feel like the things that i'm really excited about are things like like Vera Starbird's like Native Pride and Prejudice, right? Where it's like not the thing you expect, but it's like so funny and so much for us. You know what I mean? Like those plays where it's like, I mean, other people can access them and they'll be funny for them too. But they're, they're these things that not only enable the Native audience's joy, but also enable the Native performers to have something fun to work on. You know what I mean? And then, then we can all like um, bring our cultures to things that are joyous in a healing and meaningful way. I mean, also Kathy's play I mean, and Kathy's writing in general. I love and so many other Native of writers you know i mean we all know i love mary catherine and, and um ty and, and so many so many playwrights dylan uh chitto marissa carr i mean so many so many people thomas enter just got um accepted into the emerging writers group of the public which is great both figure mirrors and mary catherine nagel have been in before i mean all these all these writers are doing such incredible things and i think the key is just creating the empowerment structures for us to make work on our own so that it's not always being determined by what non-natives want i think that's the real limitation on us right now that i'm hoping will be kind of broken open and and shifted because i do i do feel oh and i mean tara's plays this is tara's always written millions of tara's like does so many things just crazy but yeah there's it's crazy it's like i'm like i feel like i was forgetting in the context of this conversation she was a playwright because she's been like directing right now you know what i mean and then i was like she like will like write a play in a day like i'm like yeah. what is it literally what is happening and then she'll sing um, yeah yeah and then she'll sing but yeah for me it's been really cool for me to watch the shift i think the shift that's happening where a lot of it originally was like a lot of the plays originally like talking about a lot of trauma and bringing a lot of trauma to the surface and then it was like dealing with the history making sure people understand certain aspects of our history and then when it's like pushing past that to indigenous futurisms to to things that can actually like celebrate native joy that's the stuff that i'm really excited about right now and i'm trying to create more space for because honestly like it's it's so much more energizing to work on i think that the hardest thing for me about where we belong was the, the combination of like not being with other native artists performing it by myself every day and then also the fact that um it's it's not happy you know like it doesn't end well it, it doesn't it doesn't end in the future it's 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 everything up until now that i'm carrying with me right and so there's so much and there's there's a kind of liberation in being able to work through that but i think much more so in being able to move past it and i i honestly feel like like i, I think i joked to somebody at one point in time like I wouldn't have written where we belong in a post Rutherford Falls world. Like, do you know what I mean? Like I wrote it because it was 2018. Like I would have written something else now because I would have known that I can. So it's, it's just like, you know, it's like the terms in which I was able to communicate, like have shifted since then. And now I feel like so much else is like possible for us. 
um, that I feel like so many things are building on so many other things and we have different kinds of permission to be able to be our full selves than we did when I feel like a lot of things still had to be kind of explainy. So I'm really looking forward to like the tour ending so that I can like continue to work on things that feel more like they're moving forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, carrying your evolution and that forward. Yeah, that joy. That joy, yes, joy. We all need it. And yeah. and narrative sovereignty. Narrative and narrative sovereignty. sovereignty. I mean, yeah, no, narrative sovereignty is 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 huge. I mean, I've also yeah, I've also been working a lot more projects specifically with my nation. Um, you know, like in terms of telling our histories, which which again has a lot of responsibility, right? Because you're dealing with actual representation in those instances. But then there's also projects where like there's narrative sovereignty over our futures. That's what I think is like really exciting because then it's like okay we can imagine beyond whatever limitations we have, whatever policies are governing us, you know, in relationship nation to nation with the United States government right now, like we can imagine beyond that and we can actually go somewhere else. Like that to me is what's so exciting because I feel like so often, I hate that we have to be defined by the terms of colonialism so often. And all native artists working on the things. I mean, that's the thing that's making me really crazy lately is that it's still like all these major productions of native plays are still being directed by non-natives at these major theaters. And then you hear about stuff in the room, you know, where people are like, this is happening in the rehearsal room and we don't know how to address it. And it's like, maybe there should have been like mandatory, like cultural trainings or something if those people are going to come into these communities in this way and, and like have to work with native artists. But anyway, for the future hope of native joy. What I'm curious, because we know that I know that you are a runner and mm -hmm. I wondered how do you, and of course we know that taking care of your, your health and your everything mentally and vocally and all these things, how will you take care of yourself, you know, that to ensure that these, that native joy, that native joy can happen in these spaces? Yeah, I think it's actually, I'm going to just take a second to acknowledge, I think it's actually a lot, a lot harder than even like, I think people like assume that I know how to like, you know, people who, anyone who's surviving doing things, people will be like, oh, she must know how. But part of the reason why I didn't perform the show the second year, even though I was supposed to, was because I was like, I, I was adamant that I could not. And, and ultimately like found out that like my adrenaline from doing it for so much had like basically put me in perpetual fight or flight. You know what I mean? Like it was like, I had to sort of like figure out how to take my cortisol levels down because just re-going through your history and all of your ancestral history every single day is not ideal <laughs> for the human body. And the thing is, is that non-natives don't understand that that like sometimes sometimes I feel like they don't see us as psychologically real. So they don't fully understand that like your story is your story is true, is real, is like tied to you in that way. Um, and so it gets treated like just another product. And I think that that's one of the hardest things is to sort of combat this being treated like a product within, the, within sort of systems like the American theater. For me, I do always have to run every day, no matter what, no matter what else I'm doing. Um, whether it's a short run or a long run, depending on what else I have to accomplish that day or how much energy I need, I, I have to run just to like level set myself. There are other things that I'm supposed to do that I don't do that I aspire to do more of in terms of, I think it's hard when you're raised to always think of the community first mm -hmm. to figure out self-compassion in instances when you are low on energy or maybe not able to achieve certain things without a certain amount of harm to yourself. And so I am saying that because I actually I haven't figured it out. And I, I tend to like deplete myself and then end up in these situations where I'm like, hmm, what do I do next time? <laughs> but I think for me a lot, a lot of what's been really exciting for me is so for most things, 
that I'm doing, I can always give opportunities to other people. And so every time I can do less, it's actually really thrilling because if I'm not direct, except for when I say I can't direct something and then they just hire white directors, that's where it gets a little, but generally speaking, right? Like not performing where we belong meant that Jenna Lavares and Jessica Ranville performed it and they had that opportunity. A hundred percent. That is like much better. You know what I mean? Than me performing it because now all these other people had that opportunity. So when you're able to negotiate the opportunities for other people, as part of your self-preservation, I think that's really key. I think what's tricky is when when your advocacy for other Native people isn't being listened to and for the wrong reasons. That's, mm-hmm. I think, when it's harder to navigate, not depleting yourself. If they say, if you're there, you will be the only Native in the room. And if you're not there, we're not letting anyone else come. Then it just feels psychotic because they're being psychotic. You know, like, obviously, they should let you and many other Natives in the room in order to, like, advocate for what you need to advocate for. Um, But you end up with that fear of community responsibility of like, what happens if I'm not there? But the thing is, is I'm starting to learn that it's not worth it. You're not going to be able to do the work you need to do a lot of the time if it's only you there anyway. You know what I mean? And it's not the best use of your energy, especially when we could just make stuff amongst ourselves and community. So that was a very long answer. But the short version of it is, is Madeline has not figured it out. Madeline (laughs) runs every day and drinks a lot of chamomile tea. Yes. (laughs) Chamomile tea. <laughs> Madeline say it says chamomile tea. So. <laughs> Any calming herbs. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of B12. B12. That's real, especially when you hit 30. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Once you hit 30, you suddenly have to take supplements in order to. But yeah, knowing, and I think learning your limits is really huge. And also like being able to check in with yourself and say like, where am I? How am I doing? Am I actually able to sustain this? Because you even asking that question, honestly, was important for me. I said, oh, Candace thinks I need to survive into the future. I was like, oh, yes, that's, that's really good to know. Maybe I should try and do that. <laughs> Well, doesn't your mom too in the play say something about rest? Like you need to rest, you need to sleep, and your character's like, she never no. Says that. no, she's never said that in the entire play or in my entire life. No, she, she says, like, well, then I dreamt it. Come home. She doesn't say come rest. Home. She says, come home, which is not the same thing. She doesn't say go home and take a nap. She says, come home. No, it is important, especially because I feel like now that there is so much digital world it doesn't end you know and I also I also like last week was really bad because I I committed to doing too many things in a row and the last thing I was just I knew I wasn't going to do a good job you know I knew I, I couldn't debate with myself for years about whether or not the students at this last lecture got anything out of it or not but I like I don't think it was worth it on my body to like be at that precipice you know because you end up just getting sick you just end up getting sick all the time if you do too much exactly Well, we are ready. We are ready to see this horizon with you. And man, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Maddie. This was Madeline Say It. This was our conversation with Madeline Say It. We hope that we're going to drop some links whenever we publish this. We're going to drop a link to to her piece uh, that you can purchase online, uh, Where We Belong. We'll also drop a link to her work with uh, the Yale Indigenous Performing Arts Program. If you are a young Native playwright or a young Native actor, 25 and under, it's a great opportunity to get an experience of what it's like working with other Native theater makers at Yale University. Maddie, let us know if you ever have maybe a, a streaming public lecture or anything like that with your work at Arizona. Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us as we close out. Of course, we want to invite you to 
Tune in next time. Same indigenous time, same indigenous place. And Matt, are you ready to, are we ready to try to get this? Don't just keep it real. Keep it real. Real indigenous. indigenous. <laughs> Did we do it? Did it work? Do you want to do it again? I think it worked. I think it worked. <laughs>